Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2021 for The Thing About Golf, the podcast series from Golf Australia magazine that asks that eternally burning question, just why do people get hooked on this crazy game? My name's Rod Murray, and alongside John Huggan, we take turns at putting this apparently simple yet oddly vexing question to a range of people in the golf space, from players and administrators to writers and entrepreneurs and every type of golfer in between. Today on episode 34, we're going to meet one of the army of unsung heroes upon whom the game relies around the world. These are the people who volunteer their time and energy but most importantly, their passion to giving the gift of golf to the next generation. The truth about junior golf is that not many are truly interested in it. Apart from anything else, golf is for the most part a business, and generally speaking, there's no money in junior players. But luckily for the game, there are people like Sue Thompson. Sue is the junior coordinator at the Mount Lawley Golf Club in Perth, but the title hardly conveys the impact she makes. I first heard of Sue through Australia's most recent major winner, Hannah Green. Long before she holed that extraordinary putt on the 18th green at Hazeltine, Hannah told me, and I quote, that if it wasn't for Sue Thompson, I wouldn't even play golf. Now, if you stop and think about that statement for a moment, and I did, that is an extraordinary impact to have had on the life of another person. And it immediately made me want to meet this woman, Sue Thompson. And so I did. And now you can too. It's been a privilege these past few years for me to count Sue Thompson as a friend. And I hope that you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. First things first, let's say thank you to Sue Thompson for taking the time. It's a bit of a commitment doing the thing about golf, so that's very generous of you. I have to start by asking, as I do with all of these episodes, the clues in the title, Sue. What's the thing about golf for Sue Thompson? I had just an inkling you might ask. The thing about golf for me is uh, that anyone at any age can play it and it can be a family game, it can be a family pastime, it can be something that you do socially, it can be something that you uh, do competitively or it can be something that you do as a career. And I think that there are probably very few sports that can actually um, be played in that way. And what I like most about it is that the family idea and particularly what I see and as it was for me, fathers and daughters, grandparents and grandkids Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, We'll come back to some of that and and your start in the game because I know it's an interesting story. I've had the pleasure of speaking with you before, but our listeners probably haven't. But we will come back to that. It's funny you say that. The fathers and daughters thing I've always thought – Perhaps people don't realise just how powerful that can be. I I covered the state junior girls championship 25-some years ago, it would have been, here in in New South Wales. And there were a lot of 14, 15 and 16-year-old girls out there playing in that, good golfers. And a lot of them had their dads on the bag. And it struck me, for girls at that stage of life, with dads at that stage of life, there's not a lot of things they can do together, is there? Golf is unique in that opportunity. It, it really, really is, and it's the one thing about my girls as well. And and when they get to 11, 12 years of age, they often don't really want anybody or don't need anybody probably more than anything on the bag anymore. But what I find um, with my girls at Mount Lawley is that they've had that relationship with their dad sometimes 
from six or seven years of age. Dad's always been there on the bag. But what Dad's done is he's built a relationship with the other dads as well. So Sunday mornings for them have become not necessarily so much about their daughters playing golf, but about the social aspect of it for them. Um, And they'll often be that often now with some of the girls that are 13, 14, 15, dad's not actually pulling the bag. Dad's not actually giving any advice anymore. He's wandering about 10 metres behind chatting with his mates. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I think it's brilliant. It brings the family into the golf club. Yeah, indeed. You mentioned Mount Lawley there, and I mentioned in the intro, partly why it is that we've got you on the show. But for those who don't know, you're sort of the junior coordinator there. Mount Lawley's quite special, isn't it, really? I think it's good. It, it has developed a special place in Australian golf. We all know about Hannah Green, and that's the pinnacle of some of the work you do there at Mount Lawley. But it's only a small part of the story. What do you do there at Mount Lawley, and why is it such a successful breeding ground for junior golfers, both extraordinarily good and elite, and others who just will play, play golf for the rest of their life? Yeah, um, what do I do? Well, I've, I've been the junior coordinator for about 12 or 13 years now, I guess. I worked for a, a long while with a, a guy by the name of Russell O'Callaghan. Sadly, Russell's buggered off to England. and Good on um, you, Russell. Thanks, mate. <laughs> he's doing all sorts of things over there. My role is to induct the kids into Mount Lawley when they join. I work with um, both Alex Mackay and Emma Liebenau, who are our two sort of main junior coaches. We've got a couple of others. Duncan Kegg works with some junior kids as well. Um, Neil Simpson is sort of um, stepping aside now, but Neil is probably better known as Nick Ahern's coach. And he was the one that actually, in the very first instance, when I got Hannah to come down to Mount Lawley and had a chat with her mum about her becoming a member, Neil saw her on the range and he said, who's that girl? And I said, it's Hannah Green. And he said, what's what's her story? And I said, well, I think she's going to join us here and come and play with the girls. And he said to me, if you never do another thing right in your life, <laughs> do not let that girl go. Right. She's going to be a champion. Wow. And I think Hannah was 10 at the time. So Neil obviously knew what he was talking about. So, yeah, I work with Emma and, um, and Alex in particular I help out at junior clinics um, on Saturday afternoon, so I'm, I've got my community coach qualifications, so I help out with those. And what we do is we feed those juniors through that um, are interested in and going on to membership, um, and I kind of take them over from that point. They keep, um, hopefully, they choose one of our pros as their coach, although that's certainly not the case with all of our juniors, induct them in, and then I spend... Um, probably the first three or four months when they're, they're getting their handicap, I go out with them when they're doing that and they'll usually do that in a Sunday morning field. And, yep, they get their handicap, they start to play in the Sunday morning competition field, usually um, in a junior nine-hole competition to start with, and I'm there with them, making sure that they're, you know, learning the rules, that they're etiquette is as it should be that they can keep the pace they need to keep because they're in an adult field on a Sunday morning and and all of those sorts of things helping them with their cards learning how to because Sunday mornings are pretty much all Stableford um, you know how to work out their points for Stableford all of that sort of thing and I guess in a way inducting their parents too because often they do have their parents there caddying for them and many of them are not golfers 
So, yeah, that's my role. And I've been really pleased this year. I've had one of the weekend ladies who's come on board to help me out in um, Julie Lepp. And she's been fantastic because we've had something like 16 or 17 new boys um, come into the club over the last 12 months and a few girls as well. So our work has been cut out on Sunday mornings to make sure that we're, we've got all those groups doing what they need to be doing. Bit of more in. So, yeah, that's pretty much my role. And then helping them out with once they're ready to play competitions at other clubs, Letting I have a Facebook page that keeps them up to date on what's coming up, what I think they should be playing, etc. I run the Pretty in Pink competition tournament for the girls in January, so that's next Friday and then the Mount Lawley Junior Open later in the year. How many cupcakes will you bake for the Pretty Pink uh, Actually, um, I don't know how many <laughs> entries we've got at the moment. How many cupcakes will I bake? Well, I've already got about three dozen done, and there'll be a few more. <laughs> there'll be a few baked, more. Bake this weekend, we'll, yeah. We'll come back to some of the specifics. What you've outlined there already, anybody who's been a member at a golf club and understands how these things work, there's an extraordinary amount of work required to do what you do and the effort that you make. I can't imagine that it was a particularly competitive role for you to get. I doubt there would have been people headhunted and put in a resume and go through an interview process. If someone puts their hand up and says, I'll be the junior coordinator, the entire club says, thank God. Why did you do yeah. that? Why yeah. did you do that? And why do you continue oh, well, to? You're underselling in many ways what it is. That you, that's the sort of time and the logistics you put in. But it's more than that, isn't it, Sue? Um, Why? Because I was a junior golfer myself. Um, I started as a 12-year-old, as you know. And I feel like, even though it was a very small country club that I started with, I feel like there are a number of people that helped me with my golf. And certainly, even working through, I guess, to um, state, sub-junior level, there were a number of people that helped me out. And I, I mean, I, I didn't really take my golf anywhere and that was, you know, family situation, probably, and ability, very definitely. <laughs> Blame the family, <laughs> Sue. That's what the rest of us do. If it hadn't been yeah, for that. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's right. Problem. That's what everybody else can do. You know, it's giving back. Um, and, and being a high school teacher, I'm pretty comfortable around kids of that age um, although I sometimes think now I'm maybe I'm getting a bit long in the tooth and I should be looking around for younger people to take over what I'm doing. But, yeah, I'm just comfortable around kids. I love being around them. And I love seeing what they can achieve. And as I said, it doesn't matter whether it's a Hannah Green or we've got, you know, Kirsten Rudgley, who's absolutely on her way at the moment. You know, the girls that I've got that are playing off plus figures when they're, you know, 13, 14 years of age – or whether it's the absolute new beginners that are, you know, missing every second ball that they hit. It doesn't matter. I love them all. No, indeed. You mentioned that. We'll just go off a quick sidetrack here. You mentioned that you think maybe it's time to hand off to somebody younger. Is there a long list of people in the world who, <laughs> who and I mean this in all seriousness, this is a real yeah. issue, isn't it? At most clubs, yeah, it's it not. Yeah, there's no list of people. They don't take juniors seriously. Golf does not take juniors seriously. That's the reality, uh, isn't it? I think that's. I think for the most part that's very true. I think it's very sad. It's very true. I know how hard I fought at Mount Lawley, um, and I'm I'm really pleased now with where we are with our junior situation and with the acceptance of our juniors, um, and particularly our girls. We had we made changes last year to our um, championships so that our girls and our weekend women could qualify um, for the championships without having to play midweek rounds. We went to a, 
um, multi-day um, qualifying for the championships. Um, um, and although, as you can imagine, it it didn't necessarily go well down well, and we actually had an information afternoon for the ladies, which um, um, I was vice captain last year um, for the lady president for myself and for the members of match um, was probably one of um, the most awkward and horrible situations we've been in for a very long time. Um, by the time we did get to the championships and actually playing them, it went pretty smoothly and the right person, and nobody will argue with me on this. If they do, then they don't know golf. The right person won our club championships, and that was Kirsten Rudgley. Mm, well, yeah, Kirsten, Kirsten Rudgley's list of wins last year is much longer than just Mount Lawley. What's that about, yes. Sue? What's that fear of change? Because, of course, golf has all of its own cultural problems. Women's golf has its own subset of cultural problems, mm. some of which you're outlying there, which then makes it very difficult when junior golf bumps up against this. In some ways, it's staggering to think that any children play the game at all, and particularly young girls. Yeah, I, and I and I must admit that I try to shelter the girls from most of the negativity. So to a large extent, I think Kirsten's aware of it. She's a little bit older and probably understands and sees a bit more. Um, but for the most part, I try to shelter them for, from it. I try to make sure that they don't realise that, you know, to many of the ladies actually don't want them there um, and don't want them playing. But I, I'm really proud of our ladies because I think um, once a decision was made, once there was an understanding of how it was going to work and that really it was going to be the fairest way to do it, they they pretty much took it on board. There are still those that are like, no, they don't, you know, don't agree with it, don't think it should happen that way. But I think for the most part they do understand that, A, legally it, it has to happen. Um, and, yes, we might be a couple of years ahead of where, you know, that necessarily has to absolutely be the case, but that's where we need to be anyway. But, yeah, they 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 understand now, I think, that this is the way of the future and that, you know, to be fair, the best players in our club, the five, probably the four best players in our club are junior girls. There are a couple of ladies, well, there's one lady in particular that sort of jumps in there amongst them and, and she'll be in the pennant team with the girls this year as well. Once you go beyond that, you know, the top 10 players at our club are junior girls mm. in terms of handicap anyway. And your best yes. one is actually world-class. <laughs> Kirsten Rudgley yes. is a world-class one. She's an internationally, uh, she is going places. You're absolutely right. She's better than just yes. a club golfer by, by a long stretch. Why do you... Why do you do that, Sue? Why would you be the vice captain? Haven't you got enough trouble being? No, Rod. No, 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 no. I'm the captain now. Oh, Sue! Congratulations. Oh no. It's okay. Um, they've just gee. they've announced another fifteen hours in the week, so you've got plenty yeah. of time to get everything yeah. done. Uh, I'm not sure how that happened. Um, I'm either very stupid or no, no. I'm, um, I was asked by the captain two years ago to be her vice captain. And we got on very well. We, um, and I could see that probably, and she would admit it, um, her golf knowledge was not necessarily where she would have wanted it to be, to be a captain. Um, and I think she thought that having me as her backstop would probably be um, very helpful. And I was very happy to work with her. Um, there was kind of a feeling that, um, and, and our um, 
constitution will change at Mount Lawley and there will be a change in structure. And I kind of guess I felt at that stage that I would actually probably not be captain, um, that we would have one club captain um, by this time. But COVID has changed all of those things as it's changed many things. Um, and so actually I I actually took over from Lynn um in, Mar in April of last year because she felt at that stage she couldn't continue with the job that she was in and what was happening with COVID as well. Um, so um, I, at that point, said I wouldn't be captain. I hadn't been elected as captain. Um, so I um, chaired a match committee and we ran golf for the rest of the year. And that worked very well. And I know those girls will work with me again um, this year. So um, I don't feel as though I'm doing it on my own because if I was, then I couldn't be doing it. Um, so that's how it's going to be structured. They're the hard job. So I'm less interested in the detail. I think anybody who's a member at a golf club understands. And I remember a club captain of mine many years ago saying to me, it's a good thing this is a volunteer position because you couldn't pay someone enough to do it. <clears throat> no. And there's truth in that, isn't there? They're the hard jobs in a golf. The easy part of yeah. being a golf club member is to turn up and play, complain about the condition of the bunkers and the greens, and then go home. Yes. We can all do that. Yes. Why are some of you motivated to be the ones who take on those responsibilities? It would have been much easier for you not to change the rules around the Ladies Club Championship. Much oh, easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why didn't you not change them? What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, I guess a little bit of it is, is my connection with the juniors and the work with the juniors and, and being able to see that, you know, some of the club champions that we've had over the last few years and you know, anybody that wins a club championship wins a club championship because they are the best player who is going around at that particular time and who actually entered the championships. We all know that. But knowing that they're not the best, they're not the best players in our club, and they know that as well. Um, and that you know, club champions should be your best player. Now it might just be for those two weeks, yeah, it doesn't but matter, it should be your best player. No one's going to fluke um, a legitimate yeah. club champion. You, you can't fluke a yes. major win. You can't fluke a proper club championship. You've got no. to be good enough to be in the mix or you're That's just not exactly going to get right. there. So. Yeah. Exactly right. And I think, um, you know, I can see other clubs where um, – and certainly there are some um, Eastern States clubs who have been a guiding, guiding lights, I think, in this particular regard, and they've been ones that certainly we've used as our examples. Um you know, who who are moving in that direction. And it's it's going to go, it has to go that way at all clubs. Um, all women have to have equal opportunity and so do the men. So do all men, that's right. Um, and, and for that reason, our men will actually have a multi-day qualifying next year as well um, and bringing some of the midweek players um, well, into the lucky, mix. Sue, all the changes will be made then and you'll be the club captain for everybody and you'll get to go through it again with the blokes. So that would be yeah. fantastic, wouldn't it? You could really yes. have something to yeah. look forward to. Yeah, and I think, you know, our, our, our guys have really come on board with that idea as well and realise that actually in some ways in making it work for the women, they have to make some changes for the men, which are going to make it work better for the men as well. Yeah, indeed. We often talk about the shape of the game, the state of the game, and the, the the temptation is to always look to professional golf. That's the public front of golf. It's not the bulk of golf by any stretch. What you're doing no. at Mount Lawley, people are doing all over the world in yes. golf clubs, and yet we don't really acknowledge that, do we, or probably give it the credit. The, the changes that you're bringing in, the thought that you're giving – now, you might be wrong about some things along the way, and I'm sure that you would oh, be the first absolutely. to accept it. But this is what shapes how golf will look in 15, 20, 30, and 40, and 50 years. Time is it? You're making a genuine contribution to that. Is that part of why you do it? 
Um, Not for the kudos. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I, I, you know, I think um, if if we are going to continue to grow, and I think it's been great the number of people that have actually you know moved into golf this year because of some of the you know things that have gone on. I think if we're going to continue to have increasing numbers of playing of people playing golf and both men and women, then those opportunities have to be there for them. You know, if they see that they've only got you know, restricted days that they can be playing that, you know, when it comes to things like uh, major competitions or even championships that they're actually not eligible, that they can't play, then, you know, I think some people are going to think, well, you know, why why would I bother to join and to play if I'm just sort of limited in what I can actually do? That product, so I guess that's that, one of the reasons. Yeah. That product served the game well for quite a long time, didn't it? And it probably stopped serving the game well somewhere between 20 and 30 years ago. And yep. we started to I see agree. the game change and clubs yep. start to struggle. And as you say, yeah, COVID- when women went back to work, yeah. when women, when they had their children, didn't just stay at home, then that was sort of the end of their working life. And, um, you know, that was the case for my mum. End of working life, uh, well, it was a bit longer than that. But yeah, so then uh, women who were going to play golf could play during the week. Um, and that, so that's when the major competitions were and, you know, very few women played on weekends. And then they were business associates because they were week, working women, but they only had limited opportunities. Couldn't play club championships unless they, you know, took themselves three, four, five days off work to be able to do that. So, yeah, those changes, I think, have been necessitated by just the structure of the workforce these days. The club business model has had to adapt, hasn't it? It's taken mm, a long time has. because clubs are a nat- clubs are clubs because pe- they're the way people want them. The members like the way things are; they don't like change, yes. as you sort of found out. So, it's 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 worked against golf in a business sense for a long time. Yeah. That yeah. that sort of notion. And there are still, you know, lots of women that and and I guess I'm I'm one of them as well. That I mean, I'm working, so I'm lucky enough that I. Um, can have a day off to play golf during the week. That's because I do my own timetable and I decide which day of the week I'm having off. Um, I don't want to play on weekends because I'm spending the time with the juniors on weekends. And a lot of the women who play during the week don't want to play on weekends because they can play a couple of days during the week Mm. and that satisfies what they want to do. But those that do work work on weekends do want to play some of those competitions um, and they should be able to, or those who go to school should be able to. And has that become more accepted, do you think? Will it take long for that to be accepted? We know what the responses are when those programs first start. And yeah, yeah, women have access to weekend tea times. Then they're not taking them up so much because it's an intimidating space to be necessarily. They're not made to feel welcome. Are those things changing and how quickly will they change? Yeah, they are. This year, um, our um, Saturday competitions, which um, both men and women, well, women who are uh, full members and or um at the moment they're called category a but that that's going that those names are changing at the moment um now it's a medley competition on a saturday morning and a saturday afternoon so that you know i mean there used to be yeah maybe i don't know 10 women playing on a saturday morning who were in their own little competition and and had to then find their own sponsors for their trophies or whatever but now they are medley competitions the sunday competitions are medley competitions so yes it is changing yeah 
and it's changing for the better. Let's move on to some of the other stuff. I want to go back to your journey of golf. You mentioned your mum there, and this is a fabulous story of how you were sort of introduced. Tell us about your mum and where you come from in WA. There'll be people listening to this overseas who will have amazing mental pictures once you've described where you grew up. Okay, so um, I I always say I'm a Mount Barker girl, but that's actually not true. Um, I'm a Kendon Up girl. So Kendon Up is about 47 miles. I'm not allowed to say that anymore, am I? Yeah, of course you are. Too bad. I have to. Um, North of Albany, just off the Albany Highway. So um, if you're heading down towards Albany from Perth, Kendon Up's off to the off to the east and is the gateway to the Stirling Ranges, which, you know, some people will know. Um, to get to where I grew up, you actually turn west and, and we were a couple of miles off the highway and I grew up on a farm there. My golf, I started at the Narpanup Golf Club, which is just out of Mount Barker, about 10 k's north of Mount Barker on the Albany Highway, right, right next to a winery. It wasn't there when I first started, but it's certainly there now. And it's a little, it's a little course, a little country course. Nine holes built into the side of a hill, and the other nine down on the flat with a, a little creek running right through the course. It is a fantastic course. It's a sand green course, of course, as they are all in that area. Yeah, look, um, a really challenging course. Uh, and one which is maintained and has always been maintained by the members. So my mum saw my my mother had um, five children in fairly quick succession. She was a, a farmer's wife. She had been a primary school teacher, forced out of um, the job once she married, as women were in those days. Um, I think she just needed to get off off the farm for at least a day a week or a half a day a week. So she saw an advertisement, I think, when she went into town in one of the shops, come and have some golf lessons. Um, so she went home and she said to my dad, I'm going to go and have golf lessons at, at um, Narpanup. And he said, oh, okay then. So off she went. It didn't take her very long at all before she got hooked and started playing and and uh, in the end she was playing a couple of days a week. So dad decided that uh, he might as well go and join her. He'd, he'd played football um, as a young man in, you know, a small country town, which everybody did in those days. Yeah, dad started playing. And for me, it seemed like a good opportunity to be able to get off the farm on a Sunday as well. So Saturday, we girls pretty much played uh, netball. My brother, right in the middle of us, was the only boy. He played football and that was generally on, <coughs> sorry, on Sundays. So <clears throat> I went along um, with mum and dad. There was a, I, I, I kind of think of him as being pretty old then, but he probably wasn't. Um, but um, a lovely old guy at the club by the name of Albert Smith, who took me under his wing and basically showed me how to hit a golf ball and what I needed to do. And I picked it up pretty quickly and got, got pretty hooked on it so but it became the thing that dad and I did dad would pick us up off the school bus when it when it came um to the front gate at four o'clock and that was the end of his working day generally on the farm unless there were really pressing things and he and I would go and grab a couple of clubs and we would hit up and down the the paddocks talk about life it was where I learned a lot of things from my dad and yeah um try not to put a ball through the big (laughs) 
glass window that overlooked the Stirling Rangers Which would have at the front of the house. Upset your mum no end, I'm sure, if that had happened. Oh, we did crack it a couple of times. I don't think we ever broke it. I want to go back to that thing with your dad. When you first told me that, you were quite emotional as you remembered that. And you lost your dad not long ago, I know. I did. Um, so those things yeah. are powerful, aren't they? That's not about golf, is it? But that's something golf's given you. You could have sat on the back porch and talked. Yeah, yeah we could have. We could have. But it wouldn't have been just me sitting on the back uh-huh. porch with dad. It would have been the, other, the others mm. as well. So I think we probably all had something that we did with dad that was sort of special for us but um you know golf was a thing for me and you know I've told you before my dad had motor neurone disease Mm -hmm. he was diagnosed 20 years ago um he was a fighter he was a he was a farmer he was a tough country guy um and uh, golf was his sort of relaxation he he was never a very good golfer. He used to say his his hands his hands were too his fingers were too fat and stubby to <laughs> wrap them around a golf club properly. His arms were too short. He he manufactured a swing, but he was strong, so he could hit the ball a long way. Not very often in the right direction, <laughs> but he could hit the ball, you know, a very long way. He was a very strong, strong man. My mum was the opposite. My mum finessed the ball. She never went off the fairway, and if she didn't chip in two or three times in a round, she was pretty disgusted with herself. So her short game was absolutely to die for. So yeah, golf was golf was a really important thing. And when Dad couldn't play anymore, I guess he he still lived his golf through me. And whenever I saw him, you know, and uh, we had Tuesday afternoons. It's a bit like that book i remember tuesdays, tuesdays with, with maury. maury yeah yeah, yeah. well it was tuesdays with dad it was all, the first question because i at that stage was playing tuesday mornings as well but um how was golf and oh are we talking about golf and either we were or we weren't um, <laughs> depending on how the round had gone tuesday morning's morning. performance lovely <laughs> yeah that's right basically so but you know he always he continued to follow golf. He he had met Hannah on a couple of occasions when I'd um, taken him to the club. In fact, going back to, and I think it was about 2012 probably, when the junior amateur, Australian junior amateur was played um, in Perth, was played at Mount Lawley. And on the last day, Hannah and Sue O and Minji played together. Wow. Um, Your photos of that? They'd be worth something one day. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I think I have, actually. Quite the triumvirate, yeah. Um, Yeah, and I think, and I think, I think, um, I I probably put them in the wrong order here. I think Minji won it, Sue was second, and Hannah was third in the end. But Hannah was pretty new to all Mm. of that sort of, you know, high level of golf at that particular stage. But I, I got Dad out in a cart. And, and we followed them around. And he, he followed Hannah's career from there pretty much. And, and he, he would often bring it up first. He'd say, oh, I see, you know, she did this or yeah. she did that or whatever. And then, you know, as I start to talk, started to talk about Kirsten as well, you know, he, he started to follow what she was doing as well. We're going to talk so, more yeah, about, that interest was always there. Yeah, we'll talk about Hannah a bit more down there. Your mother sounds like a nightmare match play opponent. Always oh, in the fairway, a demon short game, unbeatable. Yep. 
<laughs> it took her very little time before she actually started playing penance. And that was, yeah, she loved her penance. She was very competitive. She'd been a very, very good netballer um, as a young girl. Um, so very competitive. And, um, yeah, you, you, nah, you didn't want to play did, mum in penance. <laughs> in the bigger picture, did sport play a different role for women in the country than perhaps women in the city? Golf is very different in the country to the city, as you'd be well aware now yep. that being at Mount yep. Lawley. Was that true too? Were there more women in the country likely to play sport oh, or less? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we grew up, um, most, most people in country towns live and breathe sport because there's not a lot of other choices of other things to do. And for, you know, particularly, for, I think, in farming regions, for people living on outlying farms as well, that's the social aspect. That's where it comes from. You know, my husband grew up in a very small town east of Narragin. And, you know, sport actually... Um, yesterday when we caught up with a lot of his family you know there were people coming over to him who you know he'd played tennis with and they they were reminiscing and saying oh do you remember that match we played and um so he was a he was a very good well he's very tall he was a very good basketballer but an exceptional tennis player in his local area um and his parents were right into sport as well yeah is that important it's always struck me about sport and particularly girls golf should be in many ways, if we accept stereotypes in the way that too many of us think narrowly, should be the most appealing of all. There's no running, no sweating, no bashing into other people. Turns out, in fact, lots of girls do want to run and sweat and bash into other people, but it looks like it should be the most or the very first sport that most girls would be drawn to, but it's not, is yeah, it? Yeah, it's not because their parents don't play sport. And I think, well, in country areas, you tended to play the sport that your parents were involved in or, you know, that your siblings were so that, you know, you only had to maybe drive to one or two locations in a weekend. Yeah, I, you know, it, it was absolutely because of mum. I would never have taken up golf if my parents hadn't played golf. Um, I probably would have had no idea about, you know, what it was or, you know, I knew that Narpin Up Golf Club was there because whenever we drove to town, we went past it. But I'd never queried it, never asked any questions about, you know, what's golf or who plays or that's probably still true, like isn't that. it, Sue? How do we change that? We see a lot of this image that golf has, particularly amongst non-golfers, plugs into a, an awful lot of issues that mm. golf is going to have to confront in the not too distant future. And we see it here. The public golf issue here in Sydney is bubbling away with Moore Park, probably the busiest golf course in Australia, mm. legitimately yeah. under threat of being cut to nine holes. Yeah, that's dreadful. I've been following that story. And it's a lack of understanding amongst people who don't play golf of what golf can actually mean to people. So let's back yes. up to your mum. So your mum saw a sign in a shop window in the 1950s, 60s? Uh, 60s, yeah. 1960s saying, come and give golf a try. Who was doing that? Who were the women or the people who put that sign up and legitimately changed <laughs> quite a few lives in the future because your mum went up, took up golf, got hooked, and now here you are. Yeah, well, the, the woman that um, actually ran those clinics in the first place, I don't know a lot about her, but she was, she was a pretty good golfer in the local area. And I think she saw that there weren't very many playing golf, and, and all, but also that it could be a sport that young women could play uh, once the kids had gone to school because it was, you know, maybe half a, half a day that many of them were like my mum and weren't working. 
So there was an opportunity there to try and, you know, get some of those women involved. And she, I, I think she had probably eight or ten um, women at, at who came to Narpanup. She ran, did the same in Mount Barker, and I believe she also did the same in Albany. So she built some numbers and got some women involved in golf who would not otherwise have looked at it. And I think it's it's people like her it's people nowadays like the Shaney Wars and um, the Kate Goddards and what they're doing in, in places like Bunbury with getting girls, uh, firstly, letting girls know that golf is there and not just girls. Um, you know, Shaney's doing some great work with women in the local area as well with, you know, some of the come and try golf stuff that she's doing. And I think um, a lot of clubs are doing that as well. There's certainly in Western Australia, there's, a number of clubs now that are, are running regular come and try. You know, come along, have a bash, we'll supply all the equipment, we'll have a PGA professional there who will help you out. So Emma Liebenau is doing that at um, Mount Lawley for us. And then go in afterwards and have a cup of tea or have a cup of coffee on the club maybe have some cupcakes. I don't know whether I'll have to ask Emma whether they do that. Maybe I can <laughs> do some cupcakes for her. Um, and have a chat you know, and get to know some ladies. And then, you know, she takes them on into a series of um, clinics then if they're interested. And then we have certainly had some ladies who have joined the club out of those clinics as well. I think that's how it, it has to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're probably all guilty of this, Sue, and we're going to be guilty of it again ourselves shortly when we talk about Hannah, but we focus on the wrong things in golf that we show to the non-golf world, don't we? Hannah's known to non-golfers, the women who started that program that got your mum into golf and changed her life and yours and ultimately Hannah's is not. We don't explain to the non-golf world what is so powerful about this game, why people who get into it get hooked, I think, in ways that other sports don't. You have ardent fans of other sports, but golfers are at a different level, I think. Yeah. Um, I'll get your thoughts on that. But yeah. how do we get around that? Why don't we do that? You would know some non-golfers, I'm sure, probably not a lot, but you would know some. What don't they understand that we seem to? Yeah, um, it's interesting. I've got, you know, a lot of friends and colleagues who are not golfers. They know I am and they know that I am um, extremely passionate about it. And I think um, they probably learnt a lot from me. It doesn't mean that they're going to go and play golf, no, no. but it, it means that they do have more of an understanding. It might mean that perhaps they might... Um, bring their kids along to golf. They also um, might be less inclined to just agree with the notion that we should shut nine holes at Moore Park. That's true. Which yes. is which is the bit where it gets kind of important. You don't need everybody to play golf, but golf needs to make its case that it's more than just rich people occupying yeah. more space and resources than they really That's should be right. entitled to. Yeah, and and I've had some of those um, friends of mine um, who've said, "Oh, I got my husband. We just we went and had a bit of a go. You know, we." You know, his dad had a set of clubs in the shed or whatever, and we went out and, you know, had a bit of a hit. And, yeah, and they'll say, oh, I was useless at yeah. it or whatever. I say, well, you know, we all pretty much are when we get started. Back of the queue, what, love. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's what we do from there that determines whether or not we keep playing or not. But, yeah, I think um, the more exposure and, and, yes, places like Moore Park are, and, and we have our Collier Park in, in Perth. We used to have a... It was actually the course that my I got my husband into golf pretty much uh, out in Maddington, which doesn't exist anymore. And the really sad thing about it is 
it's not nothing else has been built there. I drive past it on my way to work every day, and it's just nothing. bushland. It's yeah. just you know, and it used to be a great little public course that a lot of people used to go to, but the council just didn't think that it was worthwhile maintaining. And unfortunately, I think a lot of those golf courses that are where people will go and have a hit are council ones, and in the end, decisions are made that. You know, it's not worth the cost of the upkeep of the course. Because, of course, councils aren't, for the most part, ideally positioned to understand the golf industry in the best and most no. profitable way to run a golf course, are they? And so That's you've got right. this triple trend. They've got exactly. this asset they don't understand, they don't really care about, they don't run it properly, or they hive it off to somebody else to run who's got no interest in anything but extracting as much profit as possible. And before you know it, of course, the golf course has become an untenable. Yes. Asset for the council yeah, to keep that's inside. Right. Yeah, and I mean, the, you know, the people that actually work at those golf courses need to be people that understand golf and, you know, make that experience for those that do come to just maybe have a hit and giggle actually as enjoyable as it possibly can be. Yeah. Um, we've got a, a couple of um, mini, new mini golf um, setups that have popped up in Perth, one out at the Vines and one at Wembley Golf yeah. Club, and they are extraordinarily popular, popular at the moment, and I think there will probably be more. Um, and that might be one way as well that maybe people will take that next step. And particularly since those ones are being run at golf courses, maybe they'll take the next step onto the real course Facility um, right there. from there. I've always thought pitch and putt had a much greater role yep. to potentially play yes. than what we make use of. And why we don't have more pitch and putt in Australia is just beyond me. For both yep. experienced golfers and for beginners. A pitch Absolutely. and putt's a fabulous yeah, we, place for a golfer to go and work on their game. Well, we took um, our junior pennant team, I think we did it as our wind-up, um, last year after the pennant season, we might, might have gone out beforehand, I can't remember, but we went um, to Wembley and, and played and the kids had an absolute ball and these are kids playing off plus handicaps and they just absolutely loved and they've, they've already said, are we doing that again this year? <laughs> so, and the yeah. great thing, Sue, even you and I can compete a bit on putt-putt with those kids. No chance yep. once we get on the real course. <laughs> no, their place. Oh, no. But at putt-putt, we might flum the odd one and get one up on them. And so that's, that's exactly for that reason right. alone, yeah. it should be should be more widely played. How much of your own golf do you play these days? I've got a point. Um, There's a reason why I'm asking this. <laughs> not, uh, uh, not a lot. Uh, technically, I play Thursday mornings. Last year, obviously, was a bit of a situation. I had an operation earlier in the year anyway. Well, just before COVID. So then we had um, six weeks of not playing with COVID and then we were on the shortened course as the greens got done. I actually just recently lost off my 20 cards, the card, um, the last of the cards that I played at the Australian Women's Senior in Coffs Harbour in 2019. So that'll tell you how many rounds I played in the last year. So, most of us get into golf because we love to play golf. That's the initial thing. But there's something that for people like you, and I'm the same, I haven't played golf for probably over a year now, but I don't love the game any less, and I'm no less interested in it, despite not playing. No, no. Uh, that's that's exactly right, because I'm still there probably, at, mm, probably four days a week at the golf club anyway, of which, yeah, I might play on Thursday mornings. So, no, it doesn't. And... And I say now, you know, my golf's I've, – I've done what I wanted to do. I, I really wanted to get to single figures. I worked really hard to do that and I got there and I stayed there for about a year. So uh, I know I – maybe I might have been capable of getting a little bit lower than I did, but 
there wasn't really any reward in it for me. There wasn't any reason for me to do that. So my rewards now come from being able to work with the next generation as they come through. And those, um, you know, I, I pop into Emma's My Golf clinics on a Sunday morning from time to time and just to be able to help the kids a little bit, just, you know, when she's sort of going along and doing and then I can see, you know, there'll be a girl, for example, who's really struggling to even be able to make contact with the ball and to be able to just to help her do that and then see the joy on her face when the ball takes off in the air, that's that's what's important to me now. So what I'm hearing is golf's really the vehicle, but is any of that actually about golf, Sue? It's not really, is it? Um, no, it's about, I guess it's about kids playing sport for a start because I think it's it's become less and less something that you know when when we went through school everybody played sport we had to um, these days and I see a lot of kids where I teach um, who if they can get out of a phys ed class and they think that if they leave their uniform at home that will get them out of it um, <laughs> well, nobody ever thought that, of that in our generation did they Sue? Yeah. well it doesn't and it doesn't work <laughs> no, for them because right. the phys ed staff are very clever and they've yeah. always got uniforms you know they say well go and pop this on and out we go you know kids trying to get out of sport and trying to get out of phys ed that it, it's so important because it, it's not just about the physicality about of it it's about everything else that comes along with it and you know, junior golfers, I always say they are a they are a breed apart because they have to spend time with adults. Mm-hmm. And when they do, they have to observe the etiquette and the rules of golf. Um, and if they don't, they don't last very long in the game. So to me, you know, those those kids that are teenage golfers, they are exceptional young adults for the most part. And if they're not, then, as I said, they don't last in the game. The, ga- the game demands discipline in all ways, mm, not just the playing of the game. There are disciplines mm. required beyond how Absolutely. you swing it and part, yeah. isn't there? That, otherwise, you're just, just remembering to bring a change of shoes to go into the dining room. Yeah. yeah, things like that that, you know, in other sports, kids don't have to think about. And, you know, uh, uh, I think a lot of clubs and Mount Lawley included, you know, things like dress standards and that sort of thing are, are being relaxed. So where does stuffiness um, end, Sue? That's the danger with that, isn't it? Insisting on the change of shoes for the clubhouse. Well, the next step is... Only yeah, for the dining room. The dining room, but you, <laughs> you must have a tie if you want to come in here. All those, yeah, you nice. can see where all those things are born. Yeah. Where does the stuffiness yeah. stop and the legitimate learning and valuable lessons for yeah. young people? Well, it, you know, um, certainly ties and things like that are not um, necessary at Mount Lawley anymore. And, and even, you know, I know probably five years ago as junior coordinator, I was often getting criticism about the girls in terms of, you know, what they were wearing on course and the length of their skirts. I don't hear that anymore. That's, I haven't heard that for two or three years. Um, should, have been, should have been 20 or 30 years. It should have been 20 or 30 years. That's true. But, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard any of that, haven't had any of that sort of thing. The, the only thing I really get now is that, you know, oh, the juniors were slow this morning, but you know, generally, I'm able to point out that it actually wasn't them; it was the group ahead of them, or or whatever. But um, yeah, I think I think now the golf clubs are, for the most part, much more friendly places for kids to be, and particularly when there are a number of them there. And I just I, I love seeing after the game, our kids, you know, the girls will be sitting, the boys will be sitting, chatting, having you know, a drink or whatever before they, you know, go on with the rest of the day. We've got 
23 junior girls um, under 18 at Mount Lawley at the moment. So there's always someone there for the girls to practice with or to have a drink with or to have a putting competition with or whatever it might be, and about 38 boys. So, you know, there's always someone there for them to be able to, you know, have a friendship with. Those numbers are staggering. And there will be people who are in roles in golf clubs listen to this and think, how did you manage that? What's the truth of that? Because it's really just about work and welcoming, isn't it? Isn't that really all you've done? Yeah, it's um, – I think I think with girls, girls, girls want to play golf with girls until they feel that they can compete with boys, mm-hmm. um, until they feel that they can go out on the course and not be embarrassed to maybe hit a bad shot or whatever. Um, so that's what I think we've really tried to build so that for the girls who join, there are always other girls, their age group, um, there are always, and, and Sunday mornings generally, um, during this, during the main season, we're now obviously in our summer season at the moment, I actually book the girls in on the timesheet because I put them together, but I mix them up all the time so that they're not always playing with the same people and so that I've got some of the lower handicappers playing with some of the higher handicappers and all the rest of it so that they all know each other. And some of the lower, some of the higher handicappers go, oh, I don't, I don't want to play with her because, you know, she's really good. And I say, well, if you're going to get really good, then better. one of the things that you need to do is play with better players yep. um, and see what they do. Boys are different. Boys are... Um, often very happy just to, you know, jump into a men's group and go out and play with them. And they don't they don't tend to get as embarrassed as the girls do if they might have a bad shot or whatever. But we've got – it's a really nice connection that we have, particularly between those that have been at the club for a while. And, you know, the boys will, will practice with the girls and, um, you know, the, the groups will mix up as well um, and go and – go out and play and i and i really like that i think that's really important it might be the most important thing for the future of the game when we look ahead is it not is that generational shift because we see it at the at the elite level now that where the squads are mixed the boys and the girls hannah green and curtis luck know each other well because they were part of the same squads for a whole long time that wasn't the case 20 years ago your very best girls and your very best boys might not ever meet each other except perhaps at a a presentation dinner at the end of the year that that changes cultures doesn't it that actual mixing and that's where respect grows doesn't it yeah and ours are starting out obviously in mixed clinics as well although for the younger ones emma is running a girls only clinic Mm -hmm. um for for those that are sort of just getting started because you know that's that's what they like um and and meeting the other girls but but once they move on to that next stage where um they've joined the club and they've got a handicap then it's 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 mixed, yep, and certainly at the clinics. Not so much out on the course until they get a bit older. But, you know, I mean, Kirsten's a, a great um, example there. She she messaged me the other day. In fact, I, I, have, to, I have to say that probably the person that's looked after me most um, since I've looked, lost my dad and, and checked up on me the most has been Kirsten Rudgley, absolutely without a doubt. I don't mean to be rude, um, but how old's Kirsten and how old are you? Um, there, there's 40 years between Kirsten and I. That's pretty. So, that's powerful stuff, isn't it? It, it? it is. And you know, I I would say in the last three months, I have had at least a message or a phone call once a week from Kirsten. Just a quick little, how are you going? Are you okay? We've had lunch a couple of times together. She'll 
text me and say, oh, I'm going to be down at the club on Thursday. Do you want to have lunch or do you want to catch up for a coffee or whatever? You know, I have, I have all the time in the world for that girl because, you know, she doesn't necessarily, and I'm getting a bit off track here, but um, she, doesn't, she doesn't necessarily fit the mould of that successful junior girl, um, the one that's gone on to elite golf, and there are a number of reasons for that. But to me, her, her understanding of uh, and her empathy are what set her aside from um, many other young girls. Um, and for that reason, I, I would do anything for her. And, I, and I, I honestly believe that she can be extremely successful. I just hope she gets the opportunities to be able to, to, to be successful. You've only got to look at her record to know she has all the tools. And that's no guarantee of, of success. But of those who are going to throw their hat into the ring and have a go, yep. she's one that's got a legitimate chance to get yeah. there. Because and um, Brett Rumford and Scott Strange have taken Kirsten under their wing, wow. um, which I think is fantastic. And she plays a lot of golf with them. In fact, uh, yesterday, um, I know she played at Mandurah with Min Wu, oh, um, Brett and Scott. And she will have been back on the back tees. Oh, them. no doubt. Yes, yeah, she's. <laughs> and, and she and she will have been trying very hard oh, yeah. to uh, beat them, if at all possible. But uh, both Scott and Brett are members at Mount Lawley. We don't see as much of Brett just at the moment because he's now. Um, so he's bridging at course, Wembley teaching. Yeah, he's doing. Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah, he's doing his. What's it's not it's a PDA bri- training. It's a bridging. bridging yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so he's doing that now. So we don't see quite as much of him. But you know. Um, Scott sort of stepped in there and, and he and Kirsten have been practising quite a lot, you know, short game competitions, whatever it might be, and then, you know, out onto the course. And that's been brilliant for her, I think. Brett Rumford and Scott Strange for Kirsten. Mm. You, you mm. can't buy what they've got. You can't. Mm. Oh, you, no. <laughs> the wealth of experience and knowledge from just Absolutely. playing golf for a living. Yep. You, you cannot access that anywhere else but from people who've done it. No, you can't. And that's what I've said to Kirsten. Just ask. And and Brett, I know, has said the same thing. Just ask me any question. No question is stupid. Ask me anything that you want to know. And that's why I've said to her, you know, soak it up, learn it. Because in the end, it's going to be so valuable to her, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. When I listen to you talk about Kirsten, I feel like I'm hearing you in some ways talk about Hannah as well. You've got a very similar relationship with (laughs) Hannah Green, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, things have changed a bit, obviously, with Hannah because she's not, you know, as home nearly as much. Although, you know, if COVID did um, anything good, it it brought Hannah Green back to Mount Lawley for a, a, a number of months last year. And it meant that Kirsten Rudgley was here when we played our club championships. So there was certainly a couple of good things that came out of it. But you know, Hannah was extraordinary last year with what she did with our junior girls. And and it came from her. It didn't come from me mm-hmm. because I'm very careful about what I ask Hannah to do and not to do because I know that there is so much call on her time. Mind you, um, she probably, if she listens to this down the track, I am. I know she came out of quarantine last night. So uh, pretty in pink next Friday, um, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't missed last, one yet, has she? Last, has she missed one sorry. yet? I don't, I don't think she's missed one, has she, the pretty in no, pink? No, probably not. So last year she was certainly there and presenting our trophies. But, you know, she sent a message. She put it on our Facebook page, which she, you know, keeps up with regularly, and she just said, anyone want to have a hit with me? Well, 
I don't really realise what that was going to mean in the in the long run. But uh, in the end, there were 19 girls that she managed to play golf with over that time. And the only reason she didn't play with the 20th girl was that she, uh, that young lady ended up in um, hospital and, and couldn't play when she was supposed to. But, of course, she also had um, Alison Rosie over at the Australian Open earlier in the year as well. And those two girls have just not stop talking about the experience that they had. So, so again, this doesn't really have anything to do with golf, does it? Golf's the vehicle. Hannah's our most recent major champion, which is an extraordinary mountain to climb. You cannot overstate just how difficult it is to do what she did in winning that Women's PGA Championship in what, 2018 now, wasn't it? Good Lord, we're getting older faster. So yes. it seems like <laughs> just yesterday. She doesn't have to come back to Mount Lawley. In fact... No. Of all the people who've ever been at the club, she's probably one of the few who's got a legitimate excuse to say, do you know what, I just literally don't have the time for that. I'm a major winner. I've got a million other things. So why does she do it? And I'm coming to something here which you're not going to like, but why do you think she does that? Um, well, it's it's the person that Hannah is. And, you know, I, I think a little bit like myself, Hannah realises that um, for her to be playing golf at the level that she is, there are a lot of people that are back down the track. And whereas I think a lot of sportsmen, maybe maybe they don't forget, but maybe they overlook that there was that progression to get there. Hannah doesn't. Hannah knows every single step of the way and recognises that. And, you know, she, she actually um, blows my mind that when she walks into the club and, you know, really she's been gone for three years mm-hmm. – but she, or four years, she walks into the club and she remembers the ladies' names of, you know, those that she's played with, those that, and and many of them um, follow her on Facebook. And so, if you know, Hannah puts something up, there will always be comments from Mount Lolly ladies just saying, you know, fantastic, well done, that's great, Hannah, whatever. She remembers who they are. And, and I know some of the ladies commented, sort of mid-year, but they were actually very surprised that she actually knew their name and knew who they were. But that's just that's just the mark of who she is and that, you know, she knows where and, – and she always acknowledges the time that she spent at Hartfield, you know, and, and playing with her dad um, in Hillview, at Hillview in the early days as well because those people there – were very important to that whole development as well. So this is the bit you're not going to like. For those not aware, I've spoken to <laughs> Hannah about this. I didn't mean to upset you by talking about your dad. No, so no I apologise for that. That's that was anyway. So I've spoken to Hannah about this, and she says she's she's told me more than once straight up. If it wasn't for you, she wouldn't play golf. And by that, partly, I think what she means by that is by the program that you've set up there at Mount Lawley with the junior girls. And I know you're comfortable with that because that's true. She would have given the game away if the program wasn't at Mount Lawley. And this is the bit you're not going to like. I'm going to suggest to you that her coming back to the club and remembering people's names is not about that program. It is about you and the influence that you've had on her through time. And I know that because I've asked her and she's told me that. The example that you set with the work you do, with the making of the cupcakes, with the pretty in pink. Now, I know it's not why you do it, but do you – do you ever realise the impact that you do have? Because that's not about golf either. She's a major champion. She can blow off anybody she likes in the world of golf, you included. But she doesn't. See, that's the thing. Hannah wouldn't blow off anybody. Well, not unless, well, 
not unless they were, you know, deserved it. Being silly or deserved it, yeah. No, I don't want to make well, you uncomfortable, yeah. but these are. This is what Look, you're that, actually doing. You, you, you're I, making I better people. If that, if that is the case, and if that is the reason, and I don't, and I don't necessarily think that it is, because I think because I know Hannah's parents yeah. as not, well. Not solely. I, I'm not saying solely, but. But I, I'm, I can tell you, we all learn from the people in life that we, make an impact on us. And you've yes, made an we impact do. on her. Well, outside, there's nothing you can teach her about golf. We All three of us know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not in question. But those other things are just as important, are they? Or perhaps more important, Sue? They are. Uh, um, and I mean, you know, by the time I met Hannah, she was a 10-year-old. So so many things about her were, were already absolutely formed. And, and that comes... Absolutely, from her parents and her mm-hmm. um, and her family, um, and they are, you know, wonderful people, and and so I I inherited a very thoughtful, uh, good mannered young lady who who already had all of the hallmarks of the person that she's become now. I guess um, what I added to that for her was the ability to be able to make the friendships and make the contacts that she made at Mount Lawley um, and to be able to help her to progress, you know. So uh, I, I think I, I say, and I think Hannah agreed with me the other day, that she was on about a 36 handicap. She was certainly in the 30s, maybe 33, 32, when she hit Mount Lawley. So apart from Neil recognising that he thought there was something maybe exceptional about her in the future, there certainly wasn't at the time. <laughs> Let's poke um, this kid. She's amazing. No, she's on 30 Yeah, something. Um, but, you know, she worked really hard mm-hmm. and uh, she had the opportunity, I guess, to begin with with Neil and, and he sort of, you know, picked up a few things that um, certainly improved her. Duncan Kegg um, took over and coached her then for a while um, till she was down to about single figures. And then, of course, she moved to Ritchie because by then she sort of made um, state, state squad, junior so. teams and things like that. So she obviously has worked with Ritchie since then. So I, I guess, you know, my um, contribution is that there was to enable some of those things to be able to happen, but also to keep her in golf because she could play with other girls and, um, to be able to access, she was already, um, you know, in the Graham Marsh Foundation playing um, other tournaments. But, you know, I guess I had a little bit of knowledge as well about the next stage with state level golf and that sort of thing as well. So to be able to, you know, help her to move forward into those sorts of um, squads and teams as well. Um, yeah. She also told me, and I know this is true, that a lot of the girls she grew up playing with at Mount Lawley some of whom she said were probably good enough to turn professional but decided to do other things with their life. Yeah. That, that didn't change their relationship with you because no. it's not about the golf. No. No, it isn't. It's about, I mean, because honestly, when they're out on the golf course and and as we talked about before, they've got often got dad caddying for them. Often a lot of their conversation is with their dad, not necessarily with the other girls, although as they get more confident and a little bit older, you know, dad might be pushing the buggy, but the four girls are walking in the middle chatting away to each other. It's it's about the before the game and in, in particular the after the game as well. Um, and by after the game, it's about the during the week as well. Um, and the text message, say, oh, I'm going to go down and hit a few balls on Thursday. You're going to come down and, and you know, just making those contacts so that you're not there on your own. You're not just doing this thing on your own. 
and yeah, you know, one of the girls that um, I know Hannah talked about was um, Claudia Pisano. And, and, you know, my earliest memories, I think Claudia was about seven or eight. And she came out and played on a Thursday on the school holidays with me. And she she's just an extraordinary young woman. She's gone on. She's now a fully qualified physiotherapist. But every time Claudia picks up a golf club, um, the ball wants to watch out because... <laughs> You know she's not she's not lost any of it. She'll she'll come back and she's at WA Club now. She'll come back and play pennants for WA Club this year. I have no doubt. Having played very little golf, but just needing a little bit of you know sharpening up around the edges. But you know her friendship with Hannah has been extremely important to Hannah because it's something that it can be outside of golf. Right. I know they keep in contact a lot while Hannah's away. Because that grounding becomes more important the more successful you become if you're Hannah, doesn't it? Because she's moved into a world now that is literally full of sharks. Mm. Once you've won a major, everybody wants a piece, not because they like you, but because there's something in it for them. That world can change people, and you need to have a grounded world to plug back into, don't you? Otherwise, we all saw what happened with Tiger Woods. He lived in a world that we were not familiar with. So those things are really important, aren't they, for they they are they are and i think um you know hannah's parents and her family definitely keep her very grounded um i know her mum definitely does um and yes i think the friendships and and you know a, a lot of the friends that she has here in wa are from that golf world um initially but many of them you know girls like Alyssa kia who still play a bit of golf but golf is not their life anymore so um, she has those sorts of contacts outside of it it all being about golf and where she can have a conversation that can be about many many other things other than golf and that's really important i think what did did she buy herself she got that giant check of course when she won the major there was one thing she was going to buy herself i can't remember what it was she talked about it (laughs) was it a yeah watch or something Um, it was it it was a no it was a handbag handbag. so it wasn't it yes well (laughs) i I don't i know that earlier this year she hadn't bought it but i don't know if she has now i think she was she said she'd have to wait until she went back to the u.s um so i don't know whether she's actually done that so yeah, she, she might have been looking at the limited number of tournaments this year and thinking she maybe needed to save her money. But in the end, what a fantastic finish to the season for her. That was... Um, is, on that, what is, on the golf side, what is the success? She doesn't have the most amazing golf swing. She doesn't have any... There's nothing... You, you look at Min Woo Lee and you go, well, amazing, look at the incredible talent. You look at Min Ji Lee, the extraordinary consistency in the shot she has. Yeah. There's nothing really stands out about Hannah, does it? But she's one of those players who's a very just a very complete golfer who somehow is always there. She's very determined. Oh, she's very. a very determined girl. So, um, you know, I think she she takes the good with the bad really well and and can cope with the fact that she does have a bad round and is going to have a bad round from time to time. And usually she's able to nail down pretty quickly, you know, why that's happened as well. But I think it's her determination. Because there's um, a point, isn't there, Sue, where it becomes, at a certain level of the game, it becomes more about attitude than aptitude mm, because you're now playing yeah. at a level where everyone's got the aptitude yeah. and it's the best attitude that's going to prevail eventually yeah. rather than just the and, phys- and everybody talks about, you know, her winning the KPMG and how, you know, she came out of nowhere. Well, oh. <laughs> those people that are, were aware of Hannah Green would never say that she came out of nowhere. Um, but to do what she did at that particular point in her career, yeah, does certainly say something about m- much more than the golf. Much, more. I, I mean, that that last putt 
says much more than about <laughs> the fact that she's she's actually a pretty good punter for the most part. That whole back nine on Sunday was an exhibition oh, of extraordinary yeah. nerve and that, extraordinary that pressure. That shot that she played because I, I remember um, it probably wasn't last year. It would have been the year before when she came. She was home at one point and she came down to a clinic and I had asked her if she would just help the, the girls out a bit in bunkers and just I said I don't want you to teach them how to play a bunker shot I want you to tell them how you go about a bunker shot the very first thing she said before she stepped into the bunker was girls I'm not the best bunker player in the world I'm, I'm not a great bunker player but you know what and and probably at that point that may well have been true but I would argue now and I don't know whether she would agree with me that she's actually a pretty damn good bunker player. And if you look at her stats, they would say that she's a pretty good bunker player. There's all... She's had to work on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, work is work has never been an issue for Hannah Gray. Anyone who knows her, no. she almost doesn't see it as work, I think. It, 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 she takes joy from the practice and the getting yeah. better and the improving and, and, and yeah. trying to. How much, when you, we all watched, I think, that last round. Uh, with a certain amount of nerves, what was it like for you? Because you got a pretty, you still have a pretty special relationship with Anna. But well, at you that know, time, you were sending me messages. <laughs> there, if I recall, there was some profanity in some of them, Sue, from both of uh, us. <laughs> oh, was there? I think so. Um, that doesn't sound like me. Um, I, yeah, look, um, from I think probably about the 14th or 15th, the nerves really, really kicked yeah. in for me. And I know you were you were extraordinarily positive and you were like, you know, she's got this. This is, you well, know. It was real then, and I, it? It, For three and I, a half guess, days, it's maybe she's in the mix. Also, but suddenly it was real, wasn't it? By 14T, well, it, it was like, okay. Yeah. It was it was it was really real, and um, I think you know, and I'm I'm sure her mum was sitting you know not that many kilometres away from me, probably feeling, well, she would have been feeling way more than me. I can't I can't even imagine how it was for her, but I think um, yeah, you know, you you commented a couple of times, and I kind of. And I guess it's probably coming from my own experiences, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, but I could totally screw this <laughs> yeah. up for me. <laughs> Quad, double, triple. This is the easiest thing in the world yeah. to might mess up. Yeah, that's right. And and you know what? I a, a couple of things that I did do was flick over to see what some of the other girls had shot. You know, in the last few holes to see. You know, is there a hole that's standing out here as being a bit more difficult than the others? What's it look like um, coming in? But I think probably by the time she got onto the seventeenth tee, I was feeling a lot calmer and, you know, feeling as though things were certainly going in the right direction. Does she get enough kudos for what she's done? Do we recognise it enough in Australia? Um, if she'd been Cameron Smith and won the men's PGA, mm, would the response Yeah, that's have been a good different? question, isn't it? That's a really good question. Um, do any of our women get enough kudos for what they do? Uh, you know, what it seems to me uh, a lot with the women, but, but I think with the men as well, um, and I think it's typical of Australian sporting media, Australian sports as a whole is that we jump on the bandwagon when things are great mm -hmm. and then when things are not so great, we actually don't just jump off the bandwagon. We actually tend to go a bit negative. And so people will talk about what, what hasn't been done rather than what maybe has been done. Um, I think our cricketers are at the moment are a really good example of that as well. Yeah, I think I think we're a very good country at jumping on when things are great, but we're also very good at being negative when things are not great.
golf has the added burden, I think, of being a, a somewhat difficult sport to casually observe. Mm. It's it's very hard to understand the nuances. That the casual golf fan who woke up to the news that Hannah Green had won a major that Monday, yeah, would have gone, oh, good on her, great yep. for Australia. No concept of what that actually no meant or what's no. involved in achieving that. Just no concept. Um, um, and you know, equally, it, it's it's something that's been quite interesting that people that don't know much about golf that I've talked to and you know they'll say well you know what does what does Hannah make in a year and I said well that depends on you know where she finishes and I've said you know this year about half a million Australian dollars which oh just over I think can considering she only yeah. played 14 events I'm sure she's pretty happy with that you know had it not been for the last event then it you know, would have been obviously quite a bit less than that. And then they go, oh, wow, because we all compare that to what we make. Yeah, that's right. But then I say, but then you've got to think about the costs that are coming <laughs> out a, of that. It ain't cheap. You know, I don't know what Hannah's flight home from the US cost, but it, it's not what it normally cost her, that's for sure. Oh, God, no. um, And then, you know, two weeks in two hotel weeks quarantine. quarantine as well. Um, <clears throat> I think we fail to recognise that, particularly with our golfers, because they do do so much travel they have got all of that accommodation costs. Other team, you know, cricket teams, that's all covered, all covered. for them. They're, well, we see know, their gross earnings, golfers, don't we? We see their gross earnings. They made yes. $1.3 million. Oh, yep. God, what could you do with $1.3 It's like, well, once it's all been broken down, it's <clears> not like they're <throat> struggling and none of them pretend that they are. But that $1.3 figure is nothing like what you no, end up with. And then, with you know, caddy costs, that sort oh, of thing exactly. out of there as well. So, that's, that's not a luxury that you can just cut out of, well, they, they don't have to stay at fancy hotels and they don't have to have caddies. Well, actually, they kind of do because yep. your body's got to be right to be able to play yep. at that level. And if you don't have a professional caddy, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're not going to yes. play to your best. So all of those things, yep. the truth is probably about 100000 a year. That's yep. the reality for a year on the tour. It's probably going to be about yes. 100000 bucks. That's to start. Yes, I think you know, so. Well, I think, um, I mean, you know, <clears throat> Golf Australia with their, their rookie um, mm-hmm. scholarships that they had, that was about, the amount so there was some sort of understanding there probably that that figure that you're saying is probably pretty close to what you know it would cost if you're going to give yourself a decent chance of course you can tour the world playing golf and do it on a whole lot less but you're not going to be very successful no. That's the reality. You don't have to have your own plane, but it kind of helps if you're doing a lot of trips around the world. <laughs> that, that's true. To have a, have a bit Probably of doesn't help this last year anyway, but anyway, well, maybe so, it does. <laughs> has success changed, Hannah? And I don't mean that as a changer in a bad way or a good way. No. The world around you changes when you're Hannah Green and you win something yep. big. Has her, the way she deals with the world changed? I'm not asking this to sort of pry, but we don't often get the chance to peek into an extraordinary achievement like her one winning that major is an extraordinary thing it won't be the last thing she does in her life but my goodness it's not not certainly not from grassroots mount lawley um point of view no she's she's the same person and i think that's because people tend to treat her pretty much the same as well although i have had some of the ladies say um oh would you just tell i well go and tell yourself sitting right there she doesn't but yeah she's sitting oh but she doesn't want it well why wouldn't she and, you know, so they will. And and she really enjoys that, I think, that, that people will go up to her. And, and I've said to them, you know, not when she's, you know, in the middle of a practice session or whatever, don't go and interrupt her then. Um, the same as you don't want to interrupt anybody. It wouldn't matter whether it's Hannah Green or, you know, anyone else doing a practice session. But, you know, no, not not certainly not from my observation. 
And so then, and this might be, again, this sort of, kind of there's a bit of legacy about that. that. was the discussion we were having a bit before about your role and what you're doing. It's not why you do it, but in 20 or 30 years' time, people look back and say, well, Sue Thompson was a part of something that created this. As you look back and see other people who've created the world that, that we live in, mm. what's been the impact of her continuing to turn up at Mount Lawley this past year, as you said, with COVID? And playing with nineteen and twenty markers, and and those young girls that can't see it, can't be it, is an interesting sort of idea. I'd never been exposed mm, to it until maybe, day. but that just that chance to not just meet all fan and celebrity like go and play eighteen holes with a major winner when you're a twelve year old twenty four yep. marker. Yeah, and and I certainly had a few of the girls that sort of said, oh, you know, I I, I wouldn't mind talking to her, but I don't. I don't know if I'm – I'm not good enough to go. And I said, Hannah from Kelly's. <laughs> she, in fact, um, some of the time she didn't – I mean, she, she always had her clubs, but, you know, she didn't always play a hole or sometimes she played a shot for them or she helped them out with it. And, and I said, it's not about that at all. It's about, you know, yeah, go and see what Hannah can do. Chat to her. Ask her any question. Nothing – and she said that to them. Nothing's off limits. You can ask me whatever you like. And, you know, for the first few holes, they were often a little bit shy. But, you know, by the time they came in, they were chatting, they were laughing. And and it wasn't just, oh, I'll put the clubs in the car and I'll go home either. You know, she would sit and continue to chat with them. She would chat with their parents as well. So you're right. If you can't see it, you can't be it. Our girls have been extraordinarily lucky to have been able to see it. And, you know, I think not not just with Hannah, but certainly with, you know, Kirsten as well, they know that um, they can be it and they've seen them practising and they they know how long they're there. They know what it takes Mm. and that's an insight that a lot of other girls obviously haven't had the advantage of having. And their lesson's not just about golf too, aren't they? Whatever your chosen career path might be, having seen somebody so extraordinarily successful in such a difficult profession as golf has to be something that you can transfer and say, well, okay, I know what it what's yeah, involved definitely. that's how they had success they worked at it and did those things yeah. they're fantastic yeah. lessons. and I think um not so much our girls but with some of our boys they've um they get a bit ahead of themselves mm-hmm. you know they get down to a scratch handicap they get down to maybe plus figures they get a bit ahead of themselves and so all of a sudden and they might only be 15 School is not important anymore because they've got this golfing dream. They've got this, and so they need to practice rather than they need to go to school. And I think one thing that is good about Hannah's experience is that she will say, you know, you've got to finish school. I stayed at school, finished year 12. You, you need to do that. You've got to have that level of education behind you. So I think that's a very good just to, um, well, just as a discipline as much as anything. Don't mm. like school, give up. Yeah. That's an attitude you don't particularly want. I don't like school, but I'm going to finish it. She did the same thing with the secondary tour in the US. She won, I think, three times ultimately to get, yes. to, get yep. to the car. She could have easily after the first win decided to try and Monday qualify and get invites on the opportunity. Mm. She made a directive. So I said I was going to play a year on this tour, yep. and that's what I'm going to do, and she to did. Do. And that's yes. but, and I really think that that has been incredibly important for everything that's come for her after. Oh, absolutely, and and that's what she says. She will say that year on Sumatra tour yep. um, is really incredibly important. It's it's what's helped to build her. Let's try and start to finish up here, Sue. 
what's the state of women and golf here in Australia? Is it bleak? Is it optimistic? Are we doing enough? Are we moving in the right direction? Are we moving too slowly? I have um, – I'll probably get in trouble for this. I don't say women and golf. I say women and golf and women yeah, in golf. Yeah, women and golf. I am really, really disappointed with what Golf Australia has done with the Australian amateur events, mm-hmm. the junior, the, the um, amateur – um, that'll be played next month and with the senior women, and particularly from a senior point of view. Um, I think senior women's golf in Australia is actually really quite strong. Um, and I've gone to the last five um, Australian um, amateur, the senior amateur women's events um, and played in them. Um, I played my last because the fields now have been reduced to 51 females for each of those events. Um I'm desperately disappointed about that. Um, in Coffs Harbour in 2019, 32 West Australian women went to that tournament, travelled to that tournament. 51 will make the field when it's played at the end of this year. So, it, you know, if you're not a single-figure handicapper, you're not going to play that event. And, you know, the girls at the moment, well, the, um, the amateur field closed yesterday. Boys, basically, if you're not on a plus two, you don't get a start. Um, the girls, if you're not on, in fact, I think one of our Mount Lawley girls is right on the cutoff at the moment at 1.8. What's the thinking, I, do you think? What, what's the thinking of that? What, have we become, have our administrators become, and it's something you'll hear from a lot of people, far more interested in trying to churn out future professionals than actually have a broader view of the game at the grassroots Look, level? I don't know. It's The numbers are obviously so that only one event is played instead of two senior amateurs, instead of having to have two locations for the, you know, the, the amateur, for the, the junior juniors have been played at two separate events, uh, two separate clubs for the last number of years. I guess partly that's what it's about, you know, needing less staff to be able to run the tournaments with the numbers. You know, imagine if we had had the overseas players that we normally have entering our Australian amateur this year. There may be no Australians uh, in the field, particularly uh, maybe, on the women's side. Uh, uh, you know, uh, for the boys, it might be a plus five that you'd have to be on to get in the field. For the girls, I could see it would be plus one or plus two. It, Yes, it caters for the elite, but what about that next level? What about, you know, the girls that I have got that are on between – you know, a scratch and a five. They're no dud players. No. But, but access to that, that level of event is not there for them anymore. It can be disillusioning too, can't it? A girl who's in that range might decide, well, I mean, no man. So you see this with a lot of good golfers yep. who don't turn professional. They just give the game away. Yeah, there's you no, do. There's no point being a 35-year-old plus six marker and and maybe winning a mug once a month because the only thing you can contend in is the monthly medal. Yeah. You're never going to win a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Saturday. You know, you're not going to win a Stableford comp off that. Yeah. So they just give it away. Yeah. I think for the for the majority of, you know, juniors and younger players, maybe it's not that important. But certainly from where I sit as a senior golfer, and we have to admit that that's where the majority of our golfers in Australia, you know, sit at the moment in that age bracket. And I know personally, you know, in Western Australia, that's it, it's been something that, that women have been extremely disappointed about because we probably have, well, probably got a few, but we've probably got five women now who 
legitimately yeah, would yeah. make the field. Yeah. And I don't know. Well, Golf WA sends three of them as a team, so maybe those three will go. But the others won't go because we go because we go as a big group and, you know, it's it's about more than the golf. But I think that this move is making it all about golf, not about some of the other things that 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 are so important to golf that we've talked about. Yeah, indeed. Outside of that competitive, they're, they're sort of very internal golf things to think about. What about women and golf generally? Do you see changing attitudes? Do you see... Where are we? I mean, are we going yeah. to have more women golfers in the future? Are they going to be more welcome? Yeah, I think we are. I think we're certainly seeing that in Western Australia um, at some of the clubs, and I think they're younger. You know, we've had something like 15 or 16 women join Mount Lawley this year, and very few of them are over 50 years of age. So if that's a pattern that's being repeated in other clubs, then that's very positive for the future. How do we keep- And I think that they actually like to see the younger ones around the club as well. Although that's not generally been the view of golf, has it? And it wouldn't have been no. hard to find people in golf clubs not that long ago for whom the less young people around the place, the better. Yes. Uh, yeah. and that- well, I had a club uh, ladies president tell me probably about six years ago that she couldn't care less whether we had any junior girls playing in the club. In fact, she'd prefer we didn't. Mm. So, yeah, I think we've come a long way since then. Well, yeah, but- let, 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 let's hope so uh, for all sorts of reasons. How does golf keep those who've signed on in this COVID time where suddenly golf became very appealing because one of the few recreational sporting activities that you could do, how do we not bugger it up again like we did after the last golf? But- <laughs> yeah, that's that's really it's really a good question and I guess it's one that, you know, coming into the captaincy as well but you know we have to try and make sure we we need to make sure that those women are comfortable playing that they're able to continue to learn to play because I think often what happens and I certainly see it happening with a lot of the juniors is that once they get their handicap and they're actually playing in competition they tend to stop attending clinics or they tend to stop having the coaching um, because they kind of go well I know how to play golf now and I'm, I'm playing golf, so it's okay. So I think we have to encourage them to continue to learn so that they will improve. Because if you don't, golf's a sport that if you don't get any better, I think you tend to it's lose. Easier, it's easier lose. to give up, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So if you're down near the bottom of the leaderboard every single week when you play, you know, it's it's less and less appealing. So we have to continue that learning journey and we have to um, offer them opportunities to be able to do that. Do we in the golf business, that's you, I know you're a volunteer, but you're in the golf business because you're attracting people to the club there and the junior girls and the memberships and all of those other things. We're part of the golf business. I'm part of the golf business because I'm in the golf mm-hmm. media. Do we in the golf business understand enough what it is that we need to sell to people? You and I, I think we innately get the thing about golf. We're wired that way. If you lined up 100 people and gave them a golf club and a ball, whatever the number is, let's say it's 20 of them would be like us. Immediately, they just the thing about golf would grab them. But yep. do we know enough about how to help those other eighty? Yeah, appreciate um, what is. You know, the friendships that um, are built at golf are really important. And you know, I would I would say that you know, of the ten people that I would say are my closest friends, probably six of them I've met through golf. So 
it's it's making sure that those women that do come into the club and the juniors that they are able to find a niche to find a group that you know not necessarily they play with every time they go out but they they find a group that they're comfortable with that they've got someone that yes if they want to come and practice they've got some people that they can come and do that with that they're not just there on their own because um, I hate I hate being down on the range by myself and just hitting balls. I you know I want to be there to chat with someone or to you know maybe have a little comp with or something like that. So I think that's for women um, that's really important. Men seem to tend to be able to just you know find someone and have a beer with them and and that's okay and it doesn't matter if you don't see that guy again or you don't you know sort of speak to him again. But for women, it's it's building relationships and feeling comfortable about you know, playing with any of the other ladies, but knowing that there are there are people there that um, you do have some sort of a relationship with, a, a friendship group with. It's like a big complex hairball, this golf thing, isn't it? <laughs> Every strand you pull here has a – when you really start yeah. to think about it, you know, what's the role of playing well to staying in the game to maintaining those friendships? I think about the same thing for older men in particular. I have one mate in particular who I think of who without golf – might not be with us just from a mental mm. health point of view. Yep. And the older uh, men look, get by far the most so important true. thing. Is that, that is so true. And I know, you know, we've we've had one um, of our older ladies that had has had to give golf away this year. Um, and and in, initially she couldn't drive, so but the ladies jumped on Pick board and, and came went and picked yeah. her up and took her home. And but then she needed more help than that. So she's actually moved out of the city. But we've got a number of elderly ladies who are playing golf. and I know that for them you know golf is really their salvation it's their it's the the one thing and and even when they can't play anymore they can still come up and have lunch some of them will will get a taxi get an uber whatever come up and have lunch or um, Tuesdays after um, golf the ladies play bridge they will come up and so they're still part of that group and it is incredibly important. Women are very social creatures. We want other women in particular around us. Yeah. Well, God, if, if it's not that, then it's blokes, Sue. And let's be honest, who <laughs> wants that? <laughs> Good Lord. That's right. <laughs> awful world of Well, you, I've always thought you were quite amazing, Sue, and what you do is amazing. What you've done there is amazing. I know you don't think about it like that and I understand why. And if you did think about that, you wouldn't have done the things that you've done. But, but it's been great if you to have a chat to us today. Really appreciate it. Um, it's been my absolute pleasure. That's it for episode 34. A huge thanks to Sue for taking the time to chat. And can I recommend that you've, if you're on Twitter, give her a follow. You'll find her at, at Sue underscore squiz 19. That's Sue underscore squiz, S-Q-I-Z-Z 19, numerals 19. Uh, always plenty of heartwarming news out of Mount Lawley to be found on her feed there. Now, I hope you've made the effort to subscribe to the show because episode 35 is one that you are not going to want to miss. John Huggan catches up with the legend that is England's Laura Davies. I've, I've been in positions where I needed to eagle the last hole to get in a playoff and walked off with a 10 and finished 30th. That's next time on The Thing About Golf. Golf.